Uh, and also encouraging is this phenomenal growth that we have seen in Christian education and homeschooling. Millions of parents and families have left the system over the last few years. And these are children who are gonna be future leaders. They're gonna be future CEOs. They're gonna be future political leaders. Uh, they're gonna be incredibly well-educated. They're gonna have the knowledge and the tools and the, the ability to think that is going to propel them to positions of leadership going forward. Hi, you're listening to the Zantaler Podcast. When my family started our homeschooling journey, there were so many decisions to make, but one of our best decisions was choosing to use BJU Press Homeschool. I've never seen my kids so excited to get textbooks before. I'm amazed by how interesting and interactive the lessons are. My kids actually look forward to them. We use the online video lessons for all our courses, but I know some families choose to teach from the textbooks. What I love is that I can trust BJU Press to uphold our values. The Bible and biblical principles are woven throughout each subject. I'll admit, I was a bit nervous when I started homeschooling, but I've found a wonderful online community of other BJU Press homeschool families and consultants. The Homeschool Hub also makes my job easier. I can set up our schedules and rearrange them with just a few clicks. On the dashboard, I can see each of my kids' progress, and the assignments page shows me quickly what's ready for me to check or grade. I'm glad my son's biology assignments are automatically graded. BJU Press Homeschool has given us the tools and confidence to homeschool our children. For more information, do what I did and visit the BJU Press Homeschool website or talk with your local HomeWorks consultant. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Zan Tyler podcast. Let me take just a minute to ask you to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. And if it's been encouraging to you, please leave us a review on Apple podcast. That really helps us. We're also available now on YouTube and be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Well, welcome back to the conclusion of my conversation with Alex Newman as we discuss his book, The Crimes of the Educators, the importance of God and phonics in education, and the suicide epidemic that unfortunately is raging among American teens. We'll also discuss our hope for the future. I want to switch um, gears a little bit and talk a little bit about your book, Crimes of the Educators. Uh, the title is very provocative, thought provoking. And so I want us to delve into that. Now, John Taylor Gatto happened to be a, a favorite author of mine. He wrote The Underground History of American Education. If you've never read it, I would encourage you to read it. He was the New York State Teacher of the Year, had won many, many education awards, and finally um, exited. Uh, public education because he said, I can't be part of an institution anymore that I feel like is harming children. He's very interesting to read. Now, I saw that your co-author is Dr. Samuel Blumenfeld. So tell us how you got to know him, what he stood for, and, and how you ended up writing this book together. Yeah, so Dr. Blumenfeld is one of my heroes. Um, this is a man who spent uh, over 60 years of his life studying what had gone wrong in education. Uh, and it actually began with a question about reading. He had come across uh, the book, Why Johnny Can't Read, uh, this was published back in the 1950s, about the illiteracy crisis that was then uh, just spreading like wildfire across the country. How after you know, thousands of years of teaching children to read, how did we as an advanced, incredibly wealthy nation suddenly forget to teach 
children how to read, right? How, how did this happen? So he studied this and he realized that this was actually a deliberate and a systematic effort to undermine the literacy of the American people. And so that really set the trajectory of his life for the next 60 years. And he was one of those guys who was doing original research um, in, in a legitimate way, right? Nowadays, people think research means you go to Google and you type something in. He was going into the university archives and asking for the correspondence between John Dewey and his associates and, and you know, between Horace Mann and their associates. So he was digging out the real facts that have been lost to history. And uh, I, I first came across his work in writing for a number of publications. Um, I graduated from college, I think, in uh, 2009 with a degree in journalism. And right away, I started writing for, for a variety of conservative-leaning publications, uh, World Net Daily, The New American Magazine, and others that Sam Blumenfeld happened to be associated with. And, um, you know, I had been overseas all my life. I had never been, I'd never stepped foot in a public school. So I really didn't realize the extent of the problem. I, I knew there were problems, but I came across a little blurb in my, in my local newspaper one day about this new set of national standards that was being developed. And I thought, Hmm. And I wasn't a constitutional expert, but I knew enough to know the way that that doesn't sound right. National education standards. What part of the Constitution do you find national education in? And so I started digging into this. It turns out it was Common Core. And uh, I think this was maybe 2011, 2012, before it was kind of forced on the entire country and ended up writing some articles about it in some of these same publications that Sam was writing for. And uh, I got a call one day. I was uh, overseas. I think it was in, in Sweden at the time. And they said, hey, Alex, uh, would you be interested in co-writing a book with Dr. Sam Blumenfeld about education? And I, Whoa, what an honor, really. Uh, so so we agreed to do that. And our approach was, you know, Sam would handle the historical aspect because he'd been researching this for, for six decades. Uh, and I would handle what was happening at the present time, which was the movement toward national and then international standards and, and bureaucracy, uh, and then where this was all going. So I handled kind of present and future. So we made a very good team. Um, I, I very rapidly recognized that Sam Blumenfeld was you know, beyond extraordinary. I bought every book he had ever written on education. I think he did 13 uh, at last count, if you include Crimes of the Educators. I devoured every single one. And, um, you know, Sam was just such an incredible individual. He, he produced the Alpha Phonics, which I used, to, my wife and I used to teach uh, almost all of our children to read. We still got a baby who's not there yet. Um, and uh, he just was a real inspiration. And, and his story of coming to Christ was fascinating, too. Uh, he had uh, been born as a Jew, educated as a Jew. His parents could come over from Poland. And uh, one day he read the New Testament. And, um, and, and God spoke to him and, and revealed to him that, wow, Christ really was the Messiah. Uh, and so that's how he came to know the Lord. And so we, we just had this incredible bond, this incredible relationship. And I learned so much from him. But that's kind of the background of how Crimes of the Educators came to be. So this is so fascinating for me because I grew up, um, I was in elementary school in the 60s, and Dick and Jane um, had come on the scene, the readers that were whole word readers. Somewhere I really learned how to read well. So I'm assuming that my public school where we still had devotions every day, um, I'm, I'm assuming that our teachers taught phonics in conjunction with the whole word or whatever whatever non -meth, non phonics method you want to call it so whole i guess whole word is the thing yep. um and so uh, in the 5th grade i had a teacher who was so hooked on phonics that we had to write all of our f vocabulary words out phonetically sometimes we would have to write paragraphs out phonetically instead of using the real word the phonetic spellings of the words because she kept just hammering that in i know that really changed my life so here's the thing that's a long way of saying i 
I knew, I mean, we've done phonics. We love BJU Press. We used their phonics program as my kids were growing up. They were the uh, only curriculum provider that would sell to us at the time. And I just thank the Lord that it was biblically based and that it was phonetically based, um, uh, the teaching of reading. And But I never in my wildest imaginations thought about phonics as being so integrally important in education that it was responsible if you use the whole word method that's where we're losing a lot of our kids um why a lot of kids can't read is simply because they weren't taught phonics does that that just blows my mind did that blow your mind or did you understand what was going on at that point no, I, I learned from Sam, actually. I, I didn't realize that America had this monumental reading credit because it's, it's not something that people talk about, right? It's, it's not like you're having a conversation. Someone says, yeah, by the way, I can't read. Uh, that's something that people are ashamed of. That's something that people yeah, keep to themselves. Yeah. And so it's just kind of this hidden crisis that people, it's out of sight, out of mind. We don't talk about it because nobody wants to admit that they can't read. Um, but as I was learning from Sam, yeah, and I was taught with phonics. I, I went to a French school in Mexico City. And I still remember like yesterday, my first grade and my second grade teacher drilling us with the sounds of the letter. And it was in Spanish. Spanish and French, but you know it's equally applicable because we all have a phonetic writing system. But uh, as I learned from Sam what was going on, I was flabbergasted. And you know, one of the things that's so interesting, and I think it's so hard for people to come to grips with this, is that this must be delivered. And and I'm not suggesting that your average first grade or second grade teacher who got a you know a teaching degree from some teacher's college at some state university uh, is deliberately dumbing down children. This is what they were taught is how you, you teach reading. But what is so clear as you read the history of this, which Sam uh, you know dug out of the archives, as I mentioned, uh, that actually BJU gave him an honorary doctorate doctorate for, for a lot of his work in this field. Um, but it, it's so clear that this was on purpose. You know, Horace Mann, he could be forgiven, right? Because this whole word method of teaching reading, this was actually developed with the best of intentions by Reverend Golodet. He wanted to teach deaf children to read. And of course, a deaf child doesn't understand that uh, a T makes a T sound because a, a, a deaf child can't understand a T sound. So he thought, well, maybe I'll teach these kids to memorize whole words. And if they can memorize a few hundred or a few thousand, they can really start uh, accessing the written word. That was wonderful. When Horace Mann put this in the in the government schools he was creating in Boston, uh, it didn't even take two or three years before all of the schoolmasters in Boston got together. And Sam actually reprinted the essay that they wrote in, in his 1973 book, The New Illiterates, uh, because this had been lost to history. And so you have dozens of Boston schoolmasters putting together this essay, very diplomatic. You know, it's not like the debates we have today where well, you're a poo-poo head. And, you know, it wasn't like that. But it was just very respectfully <laughs> explaining that, look, uh, Mr. Mann, uh, this method doesn't work. And so we're not going to be using this on the children anymore. So we knew back in the 1840s that this whole word method of teaching reading, teaching kids to memorize whole words as if the words were symbols rather than each letter being a symbol representing a sound. We've known since the 1840s that that didn't work. John Dewey tried it out in his experimental school at the University of Chicago, funded by, of course, uh, the Rockefeller money. And they graduated a bunch of kids who couldn't read, including some of the Rockefeller boys, right? Uh, and, and some of the Rockefeller boys have admitted this. So go ahead, Zan. Yeah, that that was so fascinating for me to read in your book that several, a couple of the Rockefeller boys could not read and spent their lives trying to overcome that. Yeah. And, you know, fortunately, they were so wealthy, they could afford secretaries to, to you know, read stuff for them. So they yeah. didn't, you know, yeah. for them, the handicap wasn't debilitating. But here you have John Dewey with an experimental school graduating a bunch of kids that can't read and then thinking to himself, hey, we should do this nationwide. 
What kind of diabolical monster would want to turn America's children into illiterates? Um, and, and we've had this continuously exposed, right? The, the history of this being exposed is so broad, so long. Uh, you know, uh, Why Johnny Can't Read, 1955 by Rudolph Flesh. Why Johnny Still Can't Read by, by Rudolph Flesh. Uh, Sam Blumenfeld with the new illiterates. And, and it, I mean, today it's even in the mainstream media. PBS is writing articles about it. And yet still the education establishment, which is funded by you know over a trillion dollars a year of our taxes now, still they insist on doing this. And even today in Common Core, you've got kids memorizing huge lists of sight words before they're ever exposed to their first uh, phonics at all. So what happens is their brains are getting wired wrong. Their, their brains are building in a reflex where they're approaching words as if the words are symbols. Um, and the effects are catastrophic. Um, you don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to do a survey of your friends and family. Uh, the U.S. government has now done numerous, uh, they call it the National Adult Literacy Survey, where they have found consistently, uh, since they've been doing this back in the early 90s, that about half of Americans are in the bottom two of five categories when it comes to reading. And, and what's really happening here, you know, they're calling them, if you're in category two, you're called a poor reader. You're not a poor reader. You're not a reader at all, right? You, you've memorized, maybe if you're smart, a few thousand words. And so you can decipher those few thousand words, but you're not reading those words. Um, and so the bottom two categories, these people are essentially illiterate. And that is about half of the adult population of the United States. So this is a crisis of such unspeakable magnitudes, of, of such horrific consequence. And I believe, Zan, that it goes back to what the first Education Act in American history stated very clearly, that old deluder Satan wants to deprive men of knowledge of the scriptures, because if they know the scriptures, they won't be deceived by Satan. I believe, and I can't prove it, but I believe that the reason these educational totalitarians have deliberately undermined the literacy of our people is because they didn't want our people reading the word of God. Well, you know, it makes a lot of sense when you read the history of our country and read the history of education. Um, one thing, I, I hate to talk about um, topics that can be so depressing, but I think this may have a good ending for us. One of, because phonics, let me, let me just say this, Alex. People need to read your book, Crimes of the Educators. And Appendix A is by a school teacher who taught, it's his story. He was in one of the worst school districts in the country. And the majority of he, his kids couldn't read. They were juvenile delinquents. They caused problems in the classroom until he, until he started teaching 10 or 15 minutes a day from Samuel Blumenfeld's book on, on alpha phonics. He taught them how to read. And it was amazing the change in these kids' lives. So if nothing else, get Crimes to the Educators, read Appendix A. It will change your view of reading if you are still on the fence about phonics versus whole word learning. Um, so one of the last things I want to talk to you about is something I have seen with my friends who still have teenagers. And that is the fact that suicide is a prevalent topic now among teens i've got teenagers i've got grandkids who are teenagers thank goodness we've we probably need to have the discussion about why it's so prevalent i've never heard them mention it they're happy you know they're they've been raised in christian homes um but even my friends who have kids in youth groups in college and in um, high school will talk about how kids are talking about suicide 
all the time. Um, whether they're contemplating it, they're um, heartbroken about a friend who has just considered who has just committed suicide. I mean, it is a topic of discussion. So I hate it when people spend five minutes asking a question, but but this has really bothered me. Where was all this coming from? And when I read your chapter um, in the book, uh, Crimes of the Educators on, on Teen Suicide, I had no idea that suicide was being offered in some schools. I'm not going to say every school, but in some schools as a solution to kids' problems. You quote, you told the story of Tara, who finally realized that if she committed suicide, it would solve her problems. She would um, come back to this earth in a new form. This was not a, a Christian view. It was reincarnation, I'm supposing. And she said, and it helps the world with overpopulation. So she saw her suicide as a solution to problems, and it had been discussed in her classes. And so, so. So just talk to us about this for a minute, because the suicide epidemic, I mean, it is really an epidemic among teens now, and especially girls. It had never been. It's never been among girls before. Yeah, it, it is a, an enormous crisis that's taking place. Uh, in fact, suicide is now one of the leading causes of death among our young people. Um, if, if you look at the latest CDC data, this was released, I think, earlier this year. Uh, they found that 60 percent of teen girls were now expressing feelings of persistent hopelessness, sadness and despair. Uh, one third of these teen girls had seriously considered suicide within the last year. One in 10 of these teen girls had actually tried to commit suicide within the last year. And this is the federal government's own data. And people need to understand this is a new phenomenon. Even 50 or 60 years ago in America, kids did not kill themselves. Kids did not come to school with firearms and murder each other. This is a new phenomenon. And so there are several things that work here. I think one of them is the worldview that's being taught. These children are being taught uh, essentially that life is meaningless, that you are uh, just a, a cosmic accident, you know, it came from some slime that turned into a monkey and there really is no purpose to life. So just have as much fun as you can. And if you're not having fun, well, you know, what's the point? You might as well just check out, right? Just kill yourself. Uh, so this is a horrific thing to teach children, to, to teach them that their life really has no inherent value. They're not made in the image of God. You're just like your cat, your goldfish, your, your, your pet dog, right? This is really no purpose or meaning to life. Uh, and that is unbelievably depressing. You know, one of the things that gives uh, people a reason to live is meaning, is purpose. And so when you deprive children of that, and now they deprive them even of their identity, right? America is evil. Your family is evil. Um, you might've been born in the wrong body, right? If you go, uh, you know, become castrated or get a hysterectomy, you can be your true self. They're depriving these children of every anchor of stability in their lives, down to including their basic biology now that is being uh, uh, brought under scrutiny. And then you combine that with some of the lessons that are being taught. You know, they, they have now in many schools, they call it death education. Um, some of the things they do, they, they tell kids to you know write your own obituary, you know, contemplate your own death. Uh, and, th and these things are very common now in the public school textbooks, the death education. Sometimes it even masquerades as anti-suicide programming. Uh, and so what they're doing, and, and then one more thing that they're adding into this very toxic mix is psychotropic drugs. Uh, you know, so you scramble the minds of these kids. You tell them there is no purpose to life. There is no meaning to life. You might not even really be a boy or a girl. Your family is evil. You're, you're, they're the reason for climate change. Uh, you're the reason for climate change. Oh, you're depressed here. Have some happy pills. Right? And you could read right on the on the box. These happy pills 
may cause suicide, may cause homicidal ideation. So you, you scramble the minds of these kids, you darken their hearts, and then you throw uh, pills on top of it that right on the warning label tell you might cause suicide and, and homicide. Uh, this is a toxic mix of unfathomable proportions. And uh, the fruit of that is what we're seeing in our colleges, in our K through 12 classrooms where children are hurting themselves, they're cutting themselves. If they're not killing themselves, uh, they're hurting other children. And in many cases now they're shooting each other. Um, it's, it, you know, in, in many cases now they're even beating up teachers and principals. I can't tell you how many videos people have sent me of this wild pack of students mercilessly beating teachers, mercilessly beating, uh, you know, since when do we need armies of police in our schools to deal with children. You, you go back and you read, you know, what were the big problems that schools were dealing with back in the fifties? And, you know, a kid's talking out of turn, they're chewing gum, chewing you know, gum. maybe they're not sitting still, right? <laughs> yeah. Today it's like, well, they're bringing guns to school and shooting their, their friends. They're stabbing each other in the bathroom. Uh, so, you know, this is the expected fruit of the worldview that is being taught to our children. And then they supercharge the fruit with uh, with these death education lessons, with, with the, these toxic uh, so-called psychotropic medications, uh, and it results in what we're seeing today, unfortunately. So let's leave on a hopeful note. So tell us, Alex, what our hope is in the midst of all of this. Well, there are a lot of things that I think are really, really encouraging, Zan. And and one of those is the, uh, maybe awakening is not the right word, but you're getting more and more parents across the country who are at least now realizing we have a problem. Uh, they, they may not fully understand the solution. You know, we've got armies of parents that are, uh, you know, screaming at school boards and things like this. And, uh, you know, th there may be some benefit to, to lobbying policymakers and things like that. But um, ultimately, that, that's like putting a Band-Aid on, on a limb that was sawed off. I mean, it, it, you know, screaming at your school board is not going to turn this this institution into a suitable place for your children. Uh, and so what I think is really encouraging is, you know, first of all, millions of parents who even just a few years ago were totally oblivious now recognize we have a problem. And any doctor will tell you, right? Step one of fixing the problem is recognizing you have a problem mm -hmm. and diagnosing that problem. So we're, we're at least many of us now in step one. And, and that's, you know, the precursor to step two, which is, all right, what do we do about it? And of course, I, I have many thoughts on what we do about it. Uh, and also encouraging is this phenomenal growth that we have seen in Christian education and homeschooling. Um, millions Amen. of parents and families have left the system over the last few years. I expect that's going to continue growing. Uh, and, and these are children who are going to be future leaders. They're going to be future CEOs. They're going to be future political leaders. Uh, they're going to be incredibly well-educated. They're going to have the knowledge and the tools and the, the ability to think that is going to propel them to positions of leadership going forward. So uh, overall, I, I, I'm encouraged by a lot of those things that are happening. A lot of pastors now or, or you know, getting a backbone or at least getting informed on what's happening. Uh, they're talking to their congregations about what the scriptures say about education, what's happening in the public schools. So I know we've done a lot of doom and gloom today, Zan, it's true. And because, I mean, there is a lot of doom and gloom to talk about. And I think it's important that we talk about these things. But even in the midst of that, we should be encouraged. And, and I tell people, you know, homeschooling, and I borrowed this from a friend, homeschooling is not going to save your children, right? Jesus Christ saves your children, not your homeschooling, right? No matter how good or how bad you homeschool, that's not where their salvation lies. But ultimately, we need to be faithful to what God has commanded us. And more and more parents are, are deciding to do that. So I, I think there's so much good happening. And, and a big part of it is because of you, Zan, and people like you who've been in the trenches for decades, who have now you know raised godly, well-educated children who are now out there impacting the culture, who are now out there homeschooling their own kids. 
Uh, and, you know, if you look at the trend line of how rapidly home education has grown, uh, how could you not be encouraged? I mean, there's millions and millions and millions of school-aged children now who are getting a wonderful education with mom and dad based on Christian principles. And, uh, you know, even on the government's own test, they're running circles around the victims of government schools. So this is something to be encouraged about. And it's something that we can all participate in. We can all go out and share uh, how how much homeschooling has done for our children and for our families and for our communities. And I, I think this is going to continue growing. Yeah, there's adversity. Yeah, there's a, a financial sacrifice. Yeah, the Washington Post might you know try to paint you as some sort of horrible person, but that's okay. We're being faithful. We're, we're doing it. We're growing. And uh, praise the Lord. I think this is going to keep going. Amen. Well, Alex, tell people how they can reach you or get in touch with you. Um, find out more about you and your writings and your your uh, philosophies. Well, thank you, Zan. I have a personal website. It's Liberty Sentinel, uh, S-E-N-T-I-N-E-L dot org for those who who learned uh, the whole word method and may not uh, get Sentinel. Uh, <laughs> when, when I picked the name, I didn't realize so many people would have trouble spelling it, but it's Liberty Sentinel dot org. People can get my newsletter. Um, my social media things are, are linked there as well. Um, I serve as the executive director of Public School Exit. It's a volunteer position. It's a labor of love. Uh, you know, I don't take a salary, but uh, we, we are a ministry. We're working with some wonderful people to try to grow homeschooling, to try to grow Christian education. We're working with pastors and families across the country. You can find us at publicschoolexit.com. Uh, I write for a lot of different publications. I serve as senior editor at the New American Magazine. Uh, I'm a regular contributor on news and opinion uh, over at the Epic Times. Did a 22-part series there on education. And uh, if people want to get in touch, alex at libertysentinel.org, or you can find me on uh, on one of the social media platforms. And uh, thank you so much, Zan, for all that you do. And thank you for inviting me on the program. It's really an honor. Well, thank you, Alex. And uh, to our listeners today, I just want to say I hope this has made you think about some things that maybe you've not thought about before. And I would be remiss if I didn't thank our sponsor, BJU Press Homeschool, for all they have contributed to Christian education in the last 50 years. Uh, a, a, a really well-formed curriculum with a biblical worldview woven in that is phonics-based in the early years when you're teaching reading. So if you're looking for a curriculum as a homeschool model, um, I can't recommend that highly enough. Uh, if you need help with it, you can find a consultant at, uh, at homeschoolhelp.com slash map. Click on that map. You can find a consultant who can answer any of your questions. Uh, so, Alex, thank you so much. I know people have been encouraged today because we can be encouraged through what the Lord is doing in Christian education and the homeschool movement. We hope you'll join us next time. Until then, bye and God bless.